Our guest today is Alan Lazarus, a podcaster and self-improvement coach with an unusual approach to achieving peak performance. We reached out to Alan to hear his thoughts on how people can optimize their behavior and progress towards achieving their mission. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and I will try to bring the energy. I got a little caffeine, so we should be good. <laughs> I'm excited as well. So you help people with self-improvement. Let me start from the most basic question. What is it and why should we care? Self-improvement, what is it? What is it and why should we care? Self-improvement is this idea that you can try to change things outside of yourself as much as you want. You know, you can try to change your environment. You can try to change your mom. You can try to change your aunt. You can try to change your judgmental friends. You can, And you can change many of those things. But if you change yourself, if you improve yourself, all of those other things will naturally either filter out or attract in. And so I think we are all sort of filtering out or attracting in the things that are congruent with who we are. So self-improvement is this idea that you can, you are unique. You have certain physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual characteristics. You have a nature and a nurture. You have an upbringing, you have a past, but you have a spotless future. And self-improvement is, you can't change who you are fully. I think we're all unique but you can improve who you are a lot and amplify that. And so uh, a good example of that might be, you know, I am a speaker and I can improve my communication skills. And no, I can't necessarily change everything about me. I can't become shorter or taller. I can't necessarily suddenly not want to be a blonde, but I can improve who I am as a person. I can improve my habits. I can improve my environment. I can improve my virtues, I can improve my character, I can improve effective communication, I can improve in business. So self-improvement is that. And then why does it matter? I grew up in an environment that had zero self-improvement. I playfully call it the boulevard of broken dreams. And I looked around and everyone seemed really unhappy and miserable to me. And I was looking for the formula, what I used to call the formula to not end up old and miserable like everyone else. And I now realize in hindsight at 35 years old that I looked around and it scared me. I saw un unhappy marriages. I saw unhappy people, careers they didn't like. I saw people that were really deeply unfulfilled. And I didn't know it at the time, but as a kid, I kind of looked around. I was like, "This, there's, there's got to be more. And people would say to me, you know, Alan, these are the best years of your life back when I was in high school. And I used to think, God, I hope not. And so why does self-improvement matter? Self-improvement, when you improve yourself, everything around you improves and your attitude improves, your humility improves, your, your capabilities improve and, and you become more strong, more smart, more capable. And, and I mean, that's, you also become more fulfilled and fulfilled people don't hurt people. So I think that's really the world I want to live in. Be the change you wish to see in the world. The world I want to live in has people that are hopeful and fulfilled you know, growing and contributing towards their goals and dreams. And that's, that's I think self-improvement is at the epicenter of that. Right. So as an engineer, I tend to gravitate towards structured models. And as you were talking right now, I am envisioning this pyramid that I think I saw several decades ago, where you had circumstances or environment at the bottom. And then above that, you had actions. And above that, you had capabilities. And above that, you had 
your virtues or your convictions. And above that, you had your personality or character. And above that, hopefully you had a mission. And basically, yes. as you go up the level, the magnitude of the effect of any change increases. Is that roughly what you're talking about? That if you focus on the upper levels, the bottom levels will essentially just magically improve themselves? Yeah. So uh, what you're referring to is is kind of, uh, it's actually very fascinating. I'm big on pyramids. I'm a computer engineer as well. And my my brain thinks in structure as well. And I, if I had a nickel for every time we created a pyramid uh, at Next Level University, my, my company, uh, we'd have a lot of nickels. But Yes, I would say what you described reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I actually have my own, what I call my pyramid of fulfillment, and it has five levels, and the bottom level is mostly physical needs, and then the level two and three are, we were actually teaching this in group coaching last night, level two and three are mostly emotional and mental needs, and then the top two levels, four and five and three are more spiritual needs. And the spiritual needs, what I mean by that is growth and contribution. And so, yeah, if you focus on growth and contribution, a lot of the other needs do come, but you can't neglect them. You can't neglect, you know, you can be the most well-developed person who lives in a, I don't know, in a really crappy, dumpy place. And you're not going to be as effective as someone with a great internet connection and great tools and, you know, a clean environment with clean drinking water, that kind of thing. So you can't neglect anything. You have to improve your environment too. But I think if you focus your life on improving yourself first, I do believe everything around you will improve. Yeah. Okay. Let me now focus on another example that you used where basically if you want to become a better public speaker, you can change some innate intrinsic characteristics that you have, but you can obviously develop more capabilities, more skills around that area. That's one way to improve your environment. Some people would argue that a better way is to essentially convince yourself you don't need it and be happy with what you have. And that would also make you happier without any of the public speaking skills. Do you have a retort to that? Should we keep a balance between those two? Yeah, it's funny. So I appreciate the question. So good. Here's my question to answer your question with a question. Can you be fulfilled settling? If you can, because what you just talked about is why put in all the effort when I could just lower my standards. I have a belief that we all have a unique calling and I call it push and pull. And I tell people, you know, push yourself to stay in the pull. It's the difference between motivation and inspiration. If you're inspired to, to be a writer, but not motivated to write, that's for me, I, I write a blog. Uh, it's called the next level blog. It's on my LinkedIn and I hate writing and people, I can't stand it. I write every single day. I've I took in 2023 I couldn't write every day. I struggled. I I was inconsistent. And then in 2024 I said I'm going to write every day. And so I've been writing every single day and I haven't missed yet in 2024. And it's been a month and a half. And I don't intend on stopping. And I absolutely hate writing. Writing's hard for me. I'm an engineer. Writing never came easy. And people say, "Why do you put yourself through that?" And my only answer is I'm I'm supposed to write. I don't know how to explain it. I I'm, I feel called to write. One of the reasons underneath that I think is it helps me become a more effective communicator. But to, to answer your question, that's the nihilism versus versus growth conversation of, well, if you if you don't want to write, why do you write? The answer is I'm supposed to, and I would be unfulfilled, and I would regret it if I didn't. 
And where does that come from? I don't know. That's a calling, a purpose, a a pull, a spiritual knowing, a intuition, a mission. It's that stuff. And I don't know what that is. I, I've always been called to certain things and I try to answer the call. And I think we're all called to different things. So if you don't feel called to become a better speaker, I don't think you should. <laughs> I think you should do whatever you want to do. But if it is a calling, I'll promise you this, you won't be fulfilled by just being like, ah, no. Yeah, so I usually don't quote people, but your references to push and pull just to remind me of a uh, Steve Jobs quote. And I have it on the wall here. If you're working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. <laughs> nice. nice. I so have a Steve Jobs quote behind me as well. <laughs> he he had a strong pull. I'll give him that. He had a strong pull. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's an interesting thing here in that, yes, in some sense, it's complacency, but others would claim that it's acceptance. And you can think about pathologies on in both directions, right? Some people think that they are being constantly pulled towards something and therefore they are never for fulfilled because the thing that pulls them drives away just as fast as they're trying to chase it. Mm -hmm. So that's one pathology. And the other is obviously I'm sitting in this puddle. It's cold, but why would I get up? Maybe other places are even worse. I'll just stay in the puddle. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two extremes. Yes. So how do you find the balance? Or should people uh, find the balance or should they just chase the thing that goes away and see how far they get? <laughs> uh, I think life is an infinite game. And I think it's a series of finite games within an infinite game. And if you've ever studied game theory, it sounds like you probably have. Uh, the best way to describe finite and infinite games is a finite game is I want to win this chess match. An infinite game is I want to be the best chess player I can possibly be. One of them, you never arrive. It's an asymptote. You just strive and never arrive. But the other one, you can have fulfillment along the way. And I think that progress creates fulfillment when you're actualizing the calling or the dream or the mission that you're on. So for example, at NLU, our mission is to help people learn health, wealth, life, and love and to help people with self-improvement, holistic self-improvement in a way where we didn't have that as kids. That's fulfilling, even though, okay, okay, people think like, oh, well, next month I'll be fulfilled. Oh, the next month, maybe it's the next car or the next house. None of that is true. Those are all finite games that are necessary within an infinite game. The infinite game is life. And yes, there's a start and an end to life, but I think the spiritual calling part, the, the maximizing your own unique potential, the maximizing your own unique greatest level of contribution, the maximizing your own unique quality of life, I actually think that's an infinite game. I mean, if you went 200 years ago and showed, I don't know, Benjamin Franklin this laptop, he'd be blown away. And, and so was he playing an infinite game? Some of the inventions that he created, one of them, you know, he's known for doing some work with electricity, has contributed to this laptop. And so I just think a lot of us think very small, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I think that I would encourage everyone to think a little bigger, aim a little higher, and see what you're capable of. Okay, so let's say a person agrees with you and they want to pursue this. Let's talk methods. What could they do? What could they focus on? And in some sense, I also want to ask how would the methods that you're about to propose differ from Tony Robbins or any of the other big self-improvement gurus out there? Because it seems like this space is pretty crowded. So what <laughs> unique methods would you propose? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
uh, when you say unique methods, I think there's certain principles, you know, that, that apply across all. And I think we all, I, I always say we're all selling ice cream, but we just all have a different flavor. Mm-hmm. But what's different about my methods, I'll answer that first, is I don't think enough people talk about self-belief. And I think even less people talk about self-worth. And I think that great leadership, great coaching, great guidance is really just helping someone increase their level of self-belief and self-worth. Now, the first question that you asked was about, the second one was about how, how I'm different. The first one was assuming they agree with me, how would they go about that, right? Okay. If I was your coach, anyone who's out there listening, I would first identify, I think of a GPS. A GPS needs a destination location, which needs to, you need to know where you want to go. It also needs to know your current whereabouts, your current location, which is self-awareness. So you need to know a goal and you need to know self-awareness. And then it needs to have accurate data of the terrain. Otherwise, you'll drive into a lake. We think we know where, what we want. We think we know where we are. And we think we have all the accurate data of the terrain when in reality, we're all driving around aimlessly. And I was too, just less aimlessly than I was before, right? So, so if I was your coach, I would help you get rid of any ego goals that are not, they're, they're what you think you want, not what you really want and redirect them to something you're actually called to. I would update your terrain, mountains, you know, roads, highways, lakes, that kind of thing. In other words, I would help you understand the economy. I would help you understand business. I would help you understand how it works and why it works that way. I think there's really three understandings that we all need if we want to make good decisions in life. The first one is you have to understand yourself, self-awareness. Number The second one is you have to understand human beings, physiology, uh, neuroscience, psychology. You have to understand how you work and how human beings work. So that's the first two. And then the third one is you have to understand how the world works. A lot of people, you know, I remember I had a client once. She said, I just don't have enough self-awareness. And I remember saying, listen, you got to stop. You have so much self-awareness. You're a therapist. You're a clinician. You do all the inner work. You want to know the truth? You want to build a really successful multi-million dollar business and you don't know anything about business. That's the truth. I walk into a Panera and I'm so excited for my delicious Panera bread food. And I'm thinking, I see their income statement. I see how much they pay each employee. I, I, I have the numbers in my head. Now I realize I didn't know this back then, but I know that's unique to me now. Most people just eat their food. So you out there listening need one of three things. You either need more self-awareness. And if you think you don't, you definitely do because people with low self-awareness think they have high self-awareness. That's why they have low self-awareness. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you, or if you have high self-awareness, I know some people with super high self-awareness, they just don't know how the economy works. They don't know how business works. They don't know numbers. They don't know structure and infrastructure and organization and organizational structure, right? So you might need to understand the world and how it works and why it works that way, right? You might need to know finance and how that works. And then the, the other piece is you might just not have a lot of self-belief or self-worth. In other words, you might, you might believe in yourself, but you might not believe you deserve much. And that usually comes from a terrible childhood. Or you think you deserve things by default with very little effort and three easy payments at $39.95, when in reality, you need to work for success. And so the problem with this industry of the self-help, self-improvement, you know, personal growth, personal development is that everyone is giving advice that is not custom. 
the advice that I give to you needs to be different than the advice that I give to someone else. If you have inflated self-worth and think that you deserve things by default with no effort, I can't say, hey, um, you need to work on your self-worth. That's the worst idea ever. What I need to say is, honestly, you need to eat some humble pie and realize that you are screwed if you don't start earning it by actually putting in work. You've read the four-hour work week too many times, right? And then if you have low self-belief and low self-worth, I have to give you a completely different piece of advice. And so that's how I'm different is it's completely custom. And I try to give the whole spectrum instead of the one or the zero. Most of the industry is, this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Everyone thinks they're right and everyone's wrong because there's a lot of different nuances based on where you're currently at. For what it's worth, as somebody who immigrated to the US, one of the first thing that strikes you is how much unwarranted confidence some people have. It doesn't exist much in the rest of the world, but in the US, it seems like everybody already listened to the gurus that tell them that they are special, they deserve to be happy, they deserve to be millionaires, et cetera, right? I'm thinking, wait, why do you deserve it? What have you done exactly? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I would, uh, that's a fascinating conversation. And I grew up, I was 14 years old when my stepdad left. My my birth father passed away when I was two and uh, just grew up very, very tough. And And by tough, what I mean is just a lot of trauma. You know, my mom and stepdad did not get along definitely born into pain and adversity with my father's death. And when my stepdad left at 14, I got free lunch at school because our income was so low and I didn't know how I was going to go to college. And I'm grateful for that in hindsight because it built it built a lot of character. I very easily could have been a, another entitled American. And I think entitlement is is thinking you deserve something for nothing. That's got to be the worst thing in the entire world. I just, I call it the spoiled brat syndrome. And, and the truth is I used to never say that cause I didn't want to be villainized. I didn't want people to be, be mad at me. Uh, but some people are, are just never going to win because they think they should win by default. And I just think that's a losing mentality. And I don't want to see anyone in that space. Like I might've been had I not had, um, my stepfather leave. Yeah. I remember visiting Asia a couple of years ago and I was walking through some trade show and I suddenly see a banner that says adversity is our strength. And I instinctively read it diversity is our strength because I live in the US for so long. That's what everybody says here. And then it, it struck me. No, it says adversity, not diversity. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, man. Nice. Uh, so, nice. So yes, it's one both, of these things. Both that, are strengths. Both yes, are strengths. But, but yeah. you, you need to do a double take because you're not mm -hmm. used to seeing this one, right? Um, but all right. So... I want to address something you said earlier. You talked about the destination, your starting point, the terrain. Let's talk about destination a little bit, especially after having lived in Silicon Valley for so long. Everybody talks about, or at least all the big shots talk about Rene Girard and how we all want what other people want instead of what would actually make us happy. Right? Everybody essentially copies other people's desires and doesn't really know which desires are their own, which desires are mimetic, right? How do you tell the difference or how do you coach people to tell the difference? That's exactly it. Uh, and honestly, we all fall for that. Uh, you know, I, was I destined to be an engineer and was that really what I want? Or was, did my mom say, Hey, you're good at math and engineers make a lot of money and AKA I'll give you approval if you do this. Uh, I think it was probably both. And I do think naturally, I think like an engineer, but I also spent a lot of time with engineers and my dream was to be an engineer because my mom kind of injected that into me. So you know, we, we see 
actors and we think, oh, that would be awesome. And we see athletes and we think that would be awesome. But what you're really seeing is the 5% that is awesome and not the 95% that sucks. So a professional athlete, for example, you know, I love basketball and I see, you know, a professional athlete like, like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or whatever. And it, it seems, you know, really awesome. But what isn't awesome is they're on the road all the time. They're never with their families, you know, on the holidays because, you know, they're playing their sport and they're always all over the world. They're always traveling. It's, it's a whole thing. And they're injured constantly, right? So there's 95% of the iceberg is below the surface. That's the 95% that sucks, um, that allows you to do the 5% that's great. And if you don't really love that 5%, like really love it, you're not going to be willing to do the 95% underneath it anyway. Uh, it's kind of like a photographer who doesn't want to do business. It's like, okay, well, if you love photography enough, you'll learn some of the business so that you can sustain it. But the difference between an ego goal and an actual calling is kind of what I would frame this as. And when I was younger, you know, did I aim high because I didn't feel valued by my stepdad and, and because my mom taught me to aim high? You know, or did I aim high because I was naturally gifted and saw and vi a natural visionary? I, I honestly don't know the answer. What I do know is that we all come into this world as a clean glass of water. This is the analogy I use. And we get BS and <laughs> horse S shoved into our glass. And I, what I consider BS and horse S is just distortion. It's, it's inaccurate thinking. So I always use the example of I was driving into Canada, uh, going to Toronto. And I turned to Kev and I said, my business partner, and I said, uh, how many people do you think live in Canada? And he's like, I don't know, 90 million. I said, I, I th probably like 120. It's like a lot of land up here. We Googled it. It's 37, 37 million. There's not a lot of people. Whoa. Okay. So that's an accurate answer. So there's 37 million people in Canada. And now it's probably, I don't know, 39 or whatever. But I care deeply about accurate data. Because you can't make a good decision with the wrong data. And so uh, I always use this analogy of the Philippines have 110 million people. I think it's probably 120 now. And you don't go to Philippines, very little land, tons of people. Canada, tons of land, very few people. You don't go to the Philippines looking for land. And you don't go to Canada looking for some massive economy. You, you, it's just inaccurate thinking. You just don't know the right data. And so... Uh, an ego goal is someone who I would love to do that, but I've never researched it. I would love to do that, but I don't want any of this. It's like a buffet. It's like, I want that, that, and that, but I don't really want any of this other stuff that comes with it. And I think a calling is more, I don't know if I want this, but I'm called to it and I kind of have to do this. And that's what I'm trying to help people with is I'm helping them get the mud out of their glass, get the BS out of their glass, get the inaccurate data out of their glass, the the people who told you you couldn't make it, the people who said you weren't good enough or weren't smart enough or whatever, a lot of that is not real. Some of it might be. Get the crappy feedback out of the glass, get the accurate feedback in the glass, and then figure out where to go from there. And then I try to help people improve their self-belief and self-worth along the way. And I think that's what self-actualization is, which is go shoot a little bit higher, work a little bit harder, get a little bit smarter, and then see what you're capable of. And then when you get results, go, okay, wow, look what I've done. What else can I do? And I think that's much better than I want to be Elon Musk, you know, and please don't associate me with Elon. But at the end of the day, 
a lot of people do that. They're like, well, I want to be Elon, but I also don't want to sleep in a tent on the top of the Tesla roof. And I definitely don't want to work a hundred hours a week every week. It's like, well, then you can't be Elon. So, and by the way, you shouldn't try to be, I, I don't think anyone should try to be Elon. I think you should try to be you. And I don't even like being associated necessarily with Elon. So I use him as an example because he's famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it. But at the end of the day, you got to be the best unique flavor of you. And you can't, you can't do the keep up with the Joneses thing and expect to be fulfilled. Right now, you talk about holistic development in all different realms of life. What you just talked about now probably only applies to the one true calling you have, which is probably in the professional realm. How do you apply the same kind of thinking to tell ego goals from real goals and how you want to structure your personal life, let's say? I, again, I lived in California. There's a lot of people trying to innovate in the space. Most of the innovations seem to be a dead end. So how do you tell whether what everybody else is doing that seems so cool is right for you as opposed to what do you actually want from your life? Yeah. So the first uh, awesome questions. The first thing I would say is don't ever get shiny object syndrome. You never want to get shiny object, object syndrome. Uh, if it really is a calling, you won't stray as often. So I'll give you an example. So at NLU, our, our main focus is holistic self-improvement and bringing that to the masses and basically bringing the things we wish we knew about as kids to, to people because they weren't available in school, weren't taught in school. When Clubhouse got big, I... Kevin was like, we really should get on Clubhouse. We got to get on Clubhouse. Everyone was telling me, you got to get on Clubhouse. And I said, Kev, no, this is a fad. I don't jump on fads. Now, the reason why is because when, when someone, if you want to know someone with a true calling, I want you to notice that when the storms come, they don't change direction. They just, they're smooth sailing. They aren't that phased by whether or not Instagram algorithms changed or now, it doesn't mean they don't adapt. It doesn't mean they don't change approach, but they don't change direction that often. They, they stay towards the heading. And so when a, a lot of people, you know, lost their minds when Clubhouse got big or maybe, you know, changed everything in their life when COVID happened, the people who really are in a calling, I think they, they, are, less, they are less easily shaken by shiny objects. And I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who talk a big game and they don't walk and they jump on every fad. And, and in the long term, that, that fad jumping, it just doesn't work. You're just going from thing to thing to thing and you're not really grounded and anchored to, to something real. And what I try to help people do is, is anchor to something that, that is inside of them that they can uncover that is real, that will always be there. And so this is the question that I ask them. There's a book called Same as Ever. It's by Morgan Household. It is so good. Oh, top 10 favorite books of all time. It's called Same as Ever. And it's learning about the things that never change. And that that's what truth is. Truth never changes. Gravity is going to be as true 10 years from now as it was 10 years from today. You can count on it. Now, bringing this into the personal life rather than the professional life. What is true about you? What was true about you 10 years ago that you know will be true 10 years from today? That's what you design your life around. Marriage is a great example. I'm not married yet, but I, I am with my person who I intend to marry. When I first met her and I fell in love with her, that was true. And in 10 years from today, I know that's still going to be true. 
So don't make, whereas in the past, I didn't feel that way. I had past partners where it was like, am I in love? Do I, is this for me? Is this not for me? I don't know. Whereas with her, it's different. It's, it's, this is it for me. And I know that, and that's always going to be true. And so you don't want to design your life around things, persons, places, things, and ideas that are, that are semi-true or shiny true or temporarily true. You want to design your life around something that's always true. And uh, one last example, I had a client one time, his name's Bradley and I still coach him. I've been coaching him for years and he's in the financial services industry and he's, he's awesome. He leads a whole team. Good dude, big fan. But he was trying to work out uh, consistently and lose weight and all stuff. And we track his weight every day and, you know, look at, I was a fitness coach and all that stuff. And, and eventually I just said, Bradley, can you be honest with me? When you're, when you're sitting at a barbecue, are you wildly upset at your current physique? Like, does it bother you constantly? Is it like constantly bothering you? And I already knew the answer, right? He's like, nah, not really. I said, Bradley, this bothers me every day. I, if I'm, if I, if we were at the lake and I went in a bathing suit, it would, it would just eat at me how much I'm leaving on the table and how out of shape I am. And that's the irony. I'm not actually that out of shape. That's the difference between a calling. And then I asked him the same question in finance. I said, what about finance? He's like every day. Oh, it bothers me every day. That's a calling. You're supposed to go succeed in finance. Fitness, you're kind of okay with it. It's all good. I'm not saying to let yourself go, but you don't have to try to win bodybuilding competitions, right? And so everyone in your personal and professional life, I think should be connecting to what's true for you. You, you can't want to be in shape because Alan's in shape. You have to want to be in shape because every time you see someone in shape, you're envious and you're jealous. And the reason why you're jealous is I think the soul's recognition of, I want that too. I want that too, as long as it's not from an ego place. The soul's recognition of you're capable of that too, and you value that too. If you're jealous of a couple that's deeply in love, that means you're called to find a partner that you can fall deeply in love with. If you're jealous of, you know, uh, me on this podcast right now and how I get to express all this, maybe you're supposed to be a podcaster. Just make sure it's not your ego saying, hey, that would be really cool. That's the difference. One of them is I have to be. The other one is that might be cool. Okay. How do you know the difference? Again, it doesn't sound like that something that you can discern very easily. If you see somebody and you're jealous of their body, how do you know the difference between I'm really cold to be in that body or I'd really like to be in that body because girls like it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them feels like a must. It feels like you have to find a way. The other one feels like a that would be really cool to to wave a wand and be that. I think. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. I one of them is a calling and it's a pull and and you you can't not do it. The other one is like, I think I'm supposed to work out more, so let me try to push myself to work out more, but I never really actually do. Interesting. Since you mentioned bodybuilding and you mentioned giving up opportunities or not straying from the path, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually had this moment in his latest book where he wrote about how right after his fifth Mr. Olympia win, he got an offer from Jack LaLanne that would pay four times more than he had ever seen in his entire life. And he 
just turned it down without thinking because his plan was to do movies, even though he had no idea how he might ever make money in that or if he might even succeed in that. He just couldn't stray from the path. So what if it's four times more money than he ever saw? Uh, so the the fascinating thing about that is Arnold Schwarzenegger has level 10 self-belief. And he doesn't really know that. So his advice is always fascinating to me because it's like he has no clue that not everyone has that. <laughs> and he also was in his calling. For some reason, he was called to movies. And that was something that he, it, it was irrelevant. When you're in your calling, shiny stuff like that is irrelevant. I got offered from investors, you know, a million dollars. And my business partner at the time thought I was insane because I was broke and I turned it down. I just said, I don't want anyone's hand in my cookie jar. I said, I've worked too hard to have another boss. Uh, and technically, customers and clients are bosses now, but you know what I'm saying. And And that's what I would say to that is, if you're in your calling, you know it, and this resonates. If you're not, you probably don't know what it feels like to have one and or you've never been in it and maybe you just have mud in your glass that you need to work on and maybe that's therapy or coaching or or just listening to podcasts like this. Uh, but I don't think Arnold really understands what it's like not to have that pull and I don't think he really understands what it's like for people who, who don't have level 10 work ethic and level 10 belief. Uh, because I don't think he ever really doubted that he would eventually get there. And I, I empathize because I've come to understand now having coached, you know, 5,000 calls, I've, I've done over 5,000 hour long sessions with people all over the world now. And I realize now that that's not normal. I mean, I, my girlfriend, she's the example. I've never met someone who believes in herself more than she does almost. I mean, we, we just surpassed 714 days in a row of exercise. And I'm, I say it, I'm like, you know, 714, we're coming up on two years. She's like, cool, right? She doesn't, for her, it's not even a big deal. It's wild. For me, that's a big deal. That's awesome, you know? Uh, for her, and I tried to ask her one time, like, why, why aren't you like pumped? Isn't that cool? You know, that's rare, right? And she's like, sure. She said, Alan, it was like dominoes that were already aligned. All we're doing is knocking down the dominoes of what I've always wanted anyway. Oh, okay. So that's the difference. So Arnold Schwarzenegger had that, right? Other people are kind of pushing themselves to try to be like that, but they aren't actually like that. And I haven't figured that out. So I've got nothing for you on that. But I do know it's different. And I know that people who do have level 10 self-belief, they don't really know that that isn't a thing for other people. Well, I suspect that he actually knows that it's not a thing even for him in other spheres of life. I think in his family life, clearly, he did not have a level 10 self-belief in what is the right path. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So that was a part of my previous question, which is how do you apply the same kind of mission, not mission discernment to parts of your life where you probably don't have a clear mission, but you still want to be better? Health is a good example. Let's say you don't have the mission of being a fitness model or looking really, really good in a way that makes other people envious, but you don't want to be fat and unhealthy. And so how do you just enough to achieve that non-mission goal? Yeah, I think it's fulfillment and regret. I think that those are the guardrails in life. I think that when something is in alignment, you'll be fulfilled. When something's not, you'll regret it. The problem is most of us don't admit our, our regrets. 
and a lot of us don't admit our regrets till the end. I got in a car accident that was had me questioning my mortality because my father passed away when he was 28 in a car accident. And I was 26 at the time and I was filled with so much regret. And the the regrets that I had were were actually lessons of all the mistakes that I made that I want to make sure I don't make again. I call it my quarter life crisis. But if you think you're going to regret getting fat, then there's your answer. If you don't think you're going to regret it, I don't know if I have advice for you. Um, it all comes down to what you feel called to. And Arnold had a lot of calling when it came to career and mission. He didn't have very much calling when it came to his personal life. And I think in many ways, he probably will regret that. And so I call it reverse engineering regret. Go, go to the end of the finish line and ask yourself what you're going to want to have be able to say, honestly. Like, can I say at the end of my life, I did all I could with all I had. Can you honestly say that? And I told Emilia this, uh, and again, she's my, I call her my penguin. Uh, Penguins only have one mate for life, so I I call her my penguin. She's my person. And I said, I don't want to be at the top of this mountain, not in love. Her and I, uh, it's actually been fascinating. I, the percentage of people that succeed long-term in marriage is getting smaller and smaller. And the percentage of people that succeed long-term in business is also getting smaller and smaller. And so I decided to do them together. <laughs> we have a business together. We call it the we, which is uh, we help, we coach couples on how to have the most magnificent relationships. We have a podcast as well. And there are times when we work together where I say, well, hold up. Can we just, you know, uh, I just, I don't want to end up at the top of this mountain, not in love. Meaning let's focus on our relationship first and our love first. And then let's grow the business from there because I don't want to try to grow the business at the expense of our relationship. Because if, if that was the case, it wouldn't be worth it for me. All right. As we are nearing the end of the episode, I want to ask you a more general question of what is the one big thing you want people to remember? What is the one big hope you want to give people? What should they come out of this with? Uh, the thing that I always come to is a lot of people, you know, say be present, you know, stay present, you know, be in the present. I, I honestly think that's terrible advice. I think you got to think about your future. I do. I think you got to you got to contemplate the future you want. And I think you got to connect to it physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You got to align with it. And then, yeah, when you get closer and closer and closer to that future, that horizon that never comes, you learn about yourself in ways you didn't. And then you have to change it because you realize ah, I didn't really actually want that. And so it's a duality. You know, we're all achieving our way to the unachievable, but that's the best. That's the best. That's what, that's what it is. That's to see all you can do with all you have. And so, you know, no matter how hard your past has been, no matter, no matter what you're going through in the present, you do have a, a bright future if you so choose. And you can make a bigger, better, brighter future anytime you want by making a decision to, to aim higher, to get stronger, to get smarter, uh, to, to work harder. And yeah, I've seen some people who have really happy, you know, great childhoods and they end up unfulfilled and, and doing very little with their life. And I've seen the opposite extreme of people that have just been absolutely abused in every way there is. 
it's called an ACE score, Adverse Childhood Experiences score. And my ACE score is very, very, very high. Uh, and, and life can get better if you work harder and get smarter. It really can. And I, I, I've been to some of the darkest times. I've, I lost my father when I was two. I lost my stepdad when I was 14. He left, you know, he took his family with him. I, by the time I'm 14 years old, I didn't know this, but I had lost three families by the time I was 14. It wasn't until my thirties when I started doing therapy, when I kind of realized all this, but life does keep getting better and better and better, assuming you get better and better and better. So that's what I would end with, which is people said, these are the best years of your life when I was in high school. And I remember thinking like, these are awful. This is awful. What are you talking about? There's no way. And so fortunately I didn't listen to them. I, I said, Nope, not me. And I, you know, went and tried to find the answers. Uh, there are answers out there. You just got to keep searching. And, and I do think your life will keep getting better if you keep getting better. And that's the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where everyone tries to be better every day and uh, where none of us are perfect, but we can all, we can all improve. So that's what I would end with. All right. This is an awesome ending note. I should also note that there seems to be a positive correlation between age and happiness consistently. So as people get older, even if they don't achieve their goal, they learn to be happy with life. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair assessment, yeah. (laughs) All right, Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. This was a wonderful conversation. This has been another episode of The Other Web. Join us next time for more discussions on the internet, information, and everything in between.